Welcome to another edition of the Ducks Confidential Podcast. I'm James Creppy and he is Aaron Fentress. And we'll go over, uh, first and foremost, this past weekend and the game that was uh, on the farm between Oregon and Stanford. And obviously, as the Ducks head into their bye week, kind of take a bit of a mid-season assessment as this is as close as it's going to get, uh, obviously with a bye week in particular, to a true mid-season where there's no, no point until waiting after the Friday game against Cal uh, to make it a perfect six games uh, and six games. We'll do it now. So we start, Aaron, with uh, kind of the obvious by way of personnel. Uh, Oregon came into the game already having suffered multiple injuries, many injuries and significant ones already on the season. Everybody does, but we learned uh, upon arrival basically on Saturday morning that there were even more, starting with Bennett Williams on Friday, and then, of course, during the game itself for C.J. Verdell to go down, not good at all. Uh, and it, it kind of goes without saying. But when you're talking about in Bennett Williams, the breakout performer of the defense mm-hmm. so far this season, and in Verdell, uh, who obviously I, I don't think need be said by just about anybody, but especially myself, uh, just in terms of his importance to the offense, this is starting to get to a point, by way of it's not just, oh, it's a volume of players. Uh, or the severity of the injuries, which obviously does not look good for either one. But you're talking about some of the most important players on this team. Uh, and it does start to get to a point of, I wouldn't just say critical mass, where it's not to the point of, uh, oh, you know, they can't win a football game or something. No, they still have depth. They have depth at these positions in particular. But no team can recover from uh, and be able to necessarily compete for for national championships when you start knocking out some of the very best players on the roster. Uh, so into the short term, based on what we know at the moment, which is that Williams had surgery on Monday and that Verdell obviously was carted off the field. We're still waiting a little bit of clarity into the severity of his injury, but it did not look good. Your initial thoughts of just what you think of where where this team goes from here, uh, starting at these positions, but also obviously we know they're thin still in, inside linebacker in particular, where they've suffered injuries there, uh, a couple of spots at tight end though they have youth there that has played well at times. What do you think of this injury situation for this team where it is clearly quite snake-bitten this season? It's quite incredible, really, when you think about it. Now, the 2016 team, the disaster 4-8 team, it was young to begin with, but that had the most injuries I'd ever seen. Like, that was just crazy. It was just like this. And there was one game in Nebraska where they lost Tyrell Crosby for the year and Devin Allen for the year, wide receiver. And Royce Freeman injured his ankle, ended up missing a couple games, then came back, then hurt his ribs and wasn't the same for a while. Um, they lost uh, Taj Griffin for the year. Uh, Johnny Reagan, their only senior front seven guy, was lost for like six or seven games. Uh, Stanford, a receiver, was lost for the year. Like It was just crazy. Like It was every week. And this is the same. And it might – I mean, if I, I'd have to go back and like just do a complete calculation. But this might be more, and we're only five games into the season. And – I don't know what you've heard on Williams. I'm hearing six weeks. Are you hearing the same thing? I think that in general, when you're dealing with uh, surgery for uh, an injury uh, to the lower leg there that you're looking at, I mean, that's that's kind of more kind of like on the, probably on the more conservative side by way of uh, uh, a conservative optimistic side, excuse yeah. me, conservative by way of short um, on the time frame. Uh, again, obviously, I, I by no means a medical professional. Um, so in terms of yes, that I was able to confirm last night that uh, he did have surgery on his leg. uh, And that was the nature of the injury. Is it possible? It's certainly possible. 
uh, to come back. But when you're looking at whether, whether you're looking at six weeks for the most expedited timetable uh, or longer, either way, they're going to be without them for a significant portion of time. Yeah. Very significant portion of time could be that definitely hurts. Realistically, you're probably looking at you're probably looking at the rest of the regular season. I mean, to just to, just to be again, that's potentially even conservative. Um, and again, you, you hope he's back, you know, instantaneously. But is somebody who just had surgery on Monday uh, for for a break in the leg? That's you know, you're looking at some period of time here. Right. Uh, so even if it's six weeks and you're talking about a Pac-12 title game potentially or something or whatever, you're really talking about most. Most optimistically, you're either talking about the Pac-12 title game or uh, the postseason. And then, you know, of course, Verdell, the lead running back, and they don't have a lot of proven running back depth at all. Um, they have some guys. I mean, they've been recruiting, right? All these recruiting classes, you hope there's some backs yeah. in there. And and I've made this point before. I remember when guys would fall off for Oregon in the day, they'd throw someone else in there, and that guy would thrive. Um, but on Verdell, man, I, I don't know what you're hearing on Verdell, but I've talked to some people close – to the program within the program who say it's season ending. Are you hearing the same thing? It definitely didn't look good. It definitely did not look good at all. Uh, and th- I mean, one, by the way, he came off the field too, then getting carted off. Uh, and I've, I've rewatched the play several times. It is very difficult to understand, like to totally see exactly what may have occurred. Um, it just, it just is, uh, you know, it's hard to tell. Is it, lower leg is it knee is it both is it i mean it's just hard to tell right Uh, obviously again by the way he was carted off it it looked it appeared in real time it looked like it was lower leg it looked like ankle uh uh, maybe above the ankle kind of area and when he was carted off i know there was the the sideline report during the telecast that it looked like they were uh, basically holding the lower portion of the leg as well so Obviously, again, we'll wait for for a little bit more by way of clarity, but it did not look good uh, at all. It was not encouraging by any means. Yeah, and yeah, you you talk, you talk about potentially losing. It's not just saying, obviously, yes, Travis Dye had a, a very very good game. We'll get to that, and it's not to be overlooked because he did have a very good performance, uh, probably one of the best performances of his career, quite honestly. Uh, certainly one of the most productive uh, and most volume of touches in his career. But it's not just a matter of saying, oh, go turn to Travis now to solve everything. What, and it's not knocking Travis, but it's what, to, what, what gives you the idea that Travis is going to be able to go out there for the next seven games of the regular season at least, uh, if not also you know postseason what it means, and be a 20-plus carry a game guy every single week. Right. Um, and again, that's not knocking Travis, but then saying, and who is going to compliment him? Yes, they do have three freshmen. Yes, but they've combined for – you know, a dozen or so carries on the season right. uh, in their careers. Yeah, somebody can fill in. Somebody has to step up. This is football. This is sport. But in terms of when you look at the splits, the situational moments, and what CJ brought to the table, you don't just pick up and say, "Oh, that's a guy you easily replace." Are you kidding? I mean, you got to be. You got to be for every time rubber met the road for this team this season alone. Early last season, when he was healthy, you can't even say that they didn't really face uh, uh, you know anything too terrible against Stanford and Wazoo early last year. And then, of course, he got hurt. And then you see what happens when he did get hurt last year. And yes, they were able to turn to Travis. And yes, he was able to do some things. But they also lost some games. It wasn't only because of the ground game, right. certainly. But he, his, his absence hurt quite a bit. Uh, and any time he came out, 
along with minor injuries, whether it be in 18 and 19, did they have some success? Absolutely. But they also had Cyrus at the time. Darren Felix would fill in a little bit here or there at the time. Right. You know, the guys who had played designated roles. These freshmen have not carved out designated roles just yet. Right. So, uh, again, to, to just gut-wrenching. Gut-wrenching for these guys because they were having terrific years. Terrific years. And also, dollar, the dollars are going to come back this season? We need clarity there, and that's one that I don't think we're ever going to get a definitive answer until – and uh, you know until the season is over, quite frankly, because <laughs> if he does come, no, because quite literally, it, that's one way. It's not just a matter of being coy. Yeah. You could wh- one, why get the answer? But two, he's already redshirted, so you can't be like, oh well, they could just redshirt. He's already redshirted. They could say Mario could take it all the way into January in the postseason and be like, I'm not ruling him out for anything because he may not be ready for October fifteenth. He may not be ready for October thirtieth. He may not be ready for November sixth. But you know what? He's going to be ready on January. And there's no reason not to play him because what are you holding him back for? He's going to, you know, unless he applies for extra eligibility, which running backs very rarely ever do, he's going to lose the year regardless, you know, unfortunately. So that's one where you just go like, you know, whether he comes back on the 15th against Cal, no, I would think that's probably a little bit of a stretch. But could he come back literally at any point? I, I certainly could not rule that out because why why would you? Again, it's not somebody where you're like, oh, you're worried about him burning a year of eligibility. He's going to be burning a year of eligibility, right. unfortunately. He's a, he's a thir- he's one of those third-year freshman players. So um, I, I I wouldn't – let's put it this way. I wouldn't put it by any means by any stretch of the imagination likely for when we're talking about the next game against Cal. But no, it's going to – and the thing is you can't just say, oh, well, obviously. Oh, it's Trey Benson, obviously. no, Or, or Seven McGee or Byron uh, uh, you know, Carwell. It could be any of them. It's the last three games. We've seen each of those young men be the next guy. You know, it was Cardwell on Saturday. The week before, it was McGee. The week before that, it was Benson. So each of them had finite opportunity. But point is, it wasn't just like, oh, obviously they're going to turn to Benson. They might. You can't just say, oh, well, obviously they're going to turn to Cardwell. Look what they just did. They might. I don't know. <laughs> you know. They they found a reason to get to McGee, you know, against Arizona because obviously he matched up quite well there and made a couple of plays. So it may be a little bit of a by committee approach. I know Jim Master has always said, you know, you get two and a half backs ready for a game. Uh, I think this may be a, a, a one end committee <laughs> approach here um, just because one, their skill sets are diverse enough. And two, obviously they're, they're they're all relatively speaking green by way of game experience. Um, and that's not criticism. That's not, oh, they should have had these guys ready at different times. How? What? If they each had 10 carries against Stony Brook a couple of weeks ago, if that game had played out a little differently, what? You would have felt exponentially more confident because they ran on an <laughs> FCS team? Like, come on. Like, they were, they were going to be young guys. You know yeah, this team was but, built to be built around. I know, but they're running the ground game. It has a top twenty. They're running it's, backs. But, yeah, though. but ultimately they're running backs. If, if right. Oregon has done it, if Oregon did its homework on these kids and they recruited them not because they had a lot of stars by their name, but because they're talented, you should be able to plug them in by now and get production out of them. And every every team in America, by way of one of the skill, one of the players, one of the positions that is easiest to play the fastest is running back. Right. As long as so it, it happens, it's all about the old, running backs go down. Anyway, so. Yeah, I, <laughs> Starts certainly, um, and look, the the 
it's it's obviously it's again to, to, you know, we're not going to belabor every which injury, but when you're talking about two of the more significant players on the team, it certainly is uh, Absol- extremely detrimental. Absolutely, uh, no to, to the team as a whole. Now no to to the issues as a whole uh, that in this game in particular, because now we'll get more into obviously the the disappointment for Ducks fans that was certainly the lo- the overtime loss at Stanford. So much of it's that you can't even just make it about a one game thing because unfortunately, and this is as, especially when you get into a bye week and talking about kind of like a midseason assessment of sorts. So much of what we saw by way of issues that had come up against Stony Brook, against Arizona, really even going back to the, the opener with Fresno State and even the Ohio State game, there were certain issues that had come up that this team was able to just take advantage of because Stanford is not a team that is going to necessarily beat themselves because they utilize the volume of personnel packages that they do because they have a pretty good quarterback uh, because, you know, again, their running game was not the vaunted kind of running game that they are used to, you know, certainly used to historically, but good enough. Um, frankly, let's start with the, you know, preface it by saying Oregon's defense played spectacular for 33 minutes in this game. Absolutely spectacular. We'll get into the final drive. We'll get into those moments. But they absolutely dominated for over 30 minutes of a game. You're talking about the second half? Having said that. You're talking about the second half? Well, the kind of the end of the first half into okay. the second half. Okay. It, like, it elapsed. Okay. You know, it, was, it was six drives where they allowed, you know, basically nothing. Right, right. Not just nothing by points, almost nothing by yards. Right. I mean, it was it was short of, you know, six takeaways. I mean, it basically... An, an old metric is that if you force uh, three three and outs, that it's the equivalent of a turnover. Well, they basically did that six times. I mean, if you want to factor in the you know end of half nothingness that was on you know that drive, technically speaking, but they had it five times. I mean, that's in essence two takeaways by some metrics. Will tell you that. Well, point is, is don't don't let's not glaze over that entirely. Like, yes, you know, it's not like the defense you know allowed forty five points in this game; they allowed seventeen up until the two minute mark. Uh, so there's something to be said there, and ten of them came in the first couple of minutes, and part of it was because the offense threw an interception, and the, you know that's the way that went on a short field. Having said all that, there were issues against larger personnel packages again, early in particular, again. <laughs> Uh, oh, yeah. You've been railing on that all season. <laughs> anyway, continue. Continue. Sorry. All season. Yeah, you're right. And look, and, st- and, and when the defense was making the stops, it was not against larger personnel packages. Stanford got away from doing that. Their adjustment was, oh, yeah, you know what we're doing with all those two or three tight end things? Let's stop doing that. And I went, <laughs> I'm looking at it going like, all right. I mean, they do have big targets and stuff, but man, um, that was an interesting one. But no, early in the first half, particularly, look at the short yardage, uh, goal, not just goal line, you know, both ways, you know, cause that you're going to go heavy anyway, but there were runs that they were doing out of, I mean, they ran out of 22, uh, uh 23 personnel pack. I mean, it's, obviously it's what kind of like what Stan, quote unquote, what people traditionally think of Stanford when they did the traditional Stanford thing. They were actually having quite a bit of success. Um, it was working quite well for them early on. Now, how did Oregon have success over that 33-minute span there on defense? They knocked them off schedule a lot on first down. A lot on mm-hmm. first down. And credit, again, that's where I say credit to defense. But it was not because 
they were not doing it against three three tight end packages when when Stanford went out there at first. Which I mean, you usually don't do on first down anyway. But Stanford does certainly on occasion. They didn't. But having said that, the the bigger personnel package matchups it, it is starting to baffle me a bit in terms of just the lack of personnel matching that this defense does. I thought there was a possibility that they were holding back a little bit. Um, both by the, you know, hey, Thibodeau was out for a couple of games, and then obviously Braden Swinson ha- has been out, continues to be out. Uh, other guys in the front seven, the injuries at linebacker, other stuff. And then ultimately, do you really feel like you need to have to necessarily match against a Stony Brook or an Arizona or whatever the case is, and you need to, you want to get certain guys on the edge, uh, more opportunities who are younger players, so you just say, okay, well, you know, we're not going to get, or we're just not going to get crazy complex because these are younger guys. I thought with Thibodeau and Funa back in particular and against a North division opponent who does play with a lot of multi tight end packages in particular, and then late in the game on the final drive where it had to be passing pretty much all the time, I thought they might've been holding things back by way of personnel packages and substitutions and ways by which they could match up Mm -hmm. so far, so far. I have been proven wrong in that regard because this defense has not matched personnel in ways that, to me, in this last game in particular, in the last drive specifically, I can't even understand what they were doing. Uh, I don't. I don't understand. I don't. I don't even understand necessarily the merits of keeping two defensive tackle, interior defensive tackles, and two inside linebackers on the field. In that two-minute situation. Um, I don't think an NFL team would do that, for example. Um, But be that as it may, there were issues that certainly came up that we have talked about before. What did you see uh, from some of that, Aaron? Well... You, I mean, you and I talked about it every week, you know, the little red flags here and there that made, made us wonder. And I think you even said last week that you made it, you gave it a 50% chance that they could run the table. Um, so obviously you, you felt like that there were enough things there that a loss was probably going to come. I mean, 50 50 coin toss, right? And during the Stony Brook game, I tweeted that if this, if they were playing a decent Pac 12 team, they'd lose this game. And I got hammered for that, not only by some Duck fans, but like by an ex Duck player. But the next week against Arizona was the same thing, and they pulled it out. And then this week, we talked about this last week, they were playing a quarterback that wasn't going to throw the ball away, right? He didn't throw five interceptions like the, the Arizona kid. He controlled the ball. He took care of it. And then in the end, he made the plays to win. And so it was. this was all foretold that this was going to happen at some point. Same problems with the passing game. They can't go vertical. They can't stretch the field. All these talented receivers, they can't get anyone the ball downfield. Uh you know, Johnny Johnson is disappearing in the box score. Jalen Red disappearing in the box score. These guys who've been productive in the past, not even necessarily downfield all the time. Johnson could go downfield, but even just in the short passing game, it's not consistent. The running game actually was pretty strong this time around, but the passing game yeah. was, was not there. And then defensively, yes, they, they had a stretch there where they were dominant, but then that final drive in overtime, are they not allowed to cover the slant in Eugene? Is this is this some weird new thing where they refuse to cover the slant? We can talk about that more later if you want. But no, I, I thought that game pretty much was foretold by every other game they played. 
The only difference, I think, in most people's minds that, that made them not think of it that way is because they beat Ohio State. Like, let's say Ohio State had been, you know, a middle of the road power five team, Vanderbilt, which was the lower end, I guess. Then that win so wouldn't they're, stick. They're, they're, border, they're bordering on, on yeah. even to the power five. Yeah, that's a good point. Okay. Other than, say, other than, let's, other than, other than their revenue distribution, they're, they're not really, uh. Let's say Nebraska, you know, let's, someone, you know, two and three, three and two, whatever they are, struggling, but still, you know, marquee program or whatever. That wouldn't have been nearly as sexy. And I think people's mindset for this team wouldn't have been as glorious, which is what led them to the number three ranking is because they beat a top five team. But were they ever really a top five team? Oregon? I never even remotely thought they were. And this came back to haunt them. All their, all their detriments, I should say, came back to haunt them. And it's going to come up again. Like Washington is a potential loss. UCLA is a potential loss. Oregon State, right now I'd pick Oregon State flat out. And then Utah is always dangerous because just because how they play. So I, I, this team is just not very good. They're not great at anything. We talked about that at the beginning of the season. What are they great at? They're not great at anything. So why would this team go undefeated? Why would this team contend for a national title? The playoff nonsense people were talking. No, th- this team has a lot of work to do. And my one question moving forward is we're, we're, we're passing. I mean, the injuries are legit. There's no doubt about that, but we're getting to the point now where it's like, okay, you've had all these top 10 classes that everyone's been slobbering over. Let's see the talent. Now, I, injuries, I know, but there's other guys too that were four, four star kids that were recruited that were, everyone was jumping all over the place when they, they, when they put a hat on their head. These guys have to start making plays and balling out. All right. So, yeah, there's a lot, lot there by way of, <laughs> of the here and now versus some of the big picture and other things <laughs> to what this team is still was and, and can be great at and is good at. Yeah, they have a top 25 running offense. And that is still the strength of the team. Even without Verdell, it can be. Uh, obviously, they were, were leading the country in takeaways. Now, you can't just bank on that on a weekly basis, obviously. That's kind of a little bit of, you know, a, mis- a misnomer. Yes. And that, you know, that's, that's a great statistical trend in a short term, but you can't rely on that every week, especially now that one of your best players in that regard who helped uh, generate three of those takeaways is not part of the equation. The two interceptions he had against Arizona, he didn't generate. The quarterback just threw it to him. See, that's the difference. I, I mean, he the screen pass interception. The screen pass interception, he has to put himself in the position to make the play. Yeah, the quarterback made a horrific throw, but you have to actually put yourself in position to make the play in the first place. One, two. I've seen enough defensive backs drop on just absolute gift balls in their direction. And, you know, it doesn't True. get executed. So it counts in the box score, in particular on the interception return touchdown. You have, you don't have to catch the ball. You have to take it all the way to the house. No, yeah, that was a great run. But it doesn't mean you necessarily caused it. There's a difference between causing it and just benefiting because the quarterback doesn't know what he's doing. Oh, for sure. That's all I'm saying. So go ahead. For sure. And, and, but, but bottom line is you can't bank on, on generating takeaways at the volume that they were, uh, certainly to start the season, particularly against lesser competition. Uh, so you can't just say, oh, well, the strength or what makes them elite is because they generate takeaways like that. It's like, well, Terrence Point, there are teams who generate takeaways and there are teams who benefit from takeaways. And they were benefiting from some takeaways early. Uh, they certainly generated some pressure to cause yeah, some, some as of well. Them, some, yeah, of course, not all 13. I'm, I'm not talking all 13. But you can't. But you can't say on a weekly basis that you're right. going to win games because you're going to win the turnover margin every week. I mean, that's just that's. Nobody, nobody, you can't plan for that. That's not realistic. So right. ultimately, what's the sum of the strengths? It's still the ground game. Again, that's something that was, was there, can be there, should be there. Um, issues that came up and could come up and 
you know, have obviously persisted. You start to get into questions now about the quarterback play, and we'll get into that here shortly. Uh, obviously, a degree of concern there. We don't want to make everything to be completely uh, horrific by way of the weekend uh, in that, obviously, the outcome was. But there were some things that were improved. I did think the line of scrimmage play on both sides was improved. Now, that's not, you know, obviously, you lose the game, so let's not, you know, get lost in it. But there were some things that were better in there. You know, not great, obviously. Uh, again, I think quarterback play regressed. I think the running game was really good as a whole. Yes, even with CJ going down. Obviously, again, Travis had a great day. First time under Cristobal that Oregon has lost when rushing for over 200 yards in a game. So there were things there. You know, that I thought was really good. And, yes, it starts at the O-line. But there were plays by the running backs. I mean, Verdell, my goodness, there were some broken tackles there where he just he was in in absolutely peak, you know, CJ Verdell form. Uh, Travis with some broken tackles. The the reception, one of the receptions that he had, where he got absolutely tagged by the safety instantaneously and held onto the ball. I mean, it, both of them played really well. Uh, and again, the O line without without foresight, without the center, without the leader, the whole group goes out there, does well. You know, well in pass protection, well in, in, in you know, opening up the run. Um, so, again, it wasn't just all complete abject failure and disaster <laughs> by any stretch. But but it's a, no, it's a loss, and it's not a good loss. Um, so, you know, we do, just to say we're not we're not making everything to be, you know, the house is completely on fire, and it's, you know, it's time to, you know, give up on everything kind of thing. Like, again, the defense dominated for 33 minutes. But then, obviously, the final drive, and this kind of serves as the perfect segue to it, Aaron. They allow the drive and the game time drive. There's a fifth, you know, basically a fifth and goal untimed down. For all intents and purposes, it is fifth and goal. <laughs> right. uh, and the three penalties along the way from targeting, roughing the passer, and defensive holding. First, your assessment of the penalties, since they obviously accounted for a large swath of the 95, 96 yards that Stanford ended up gaining on that final drive. I thought the, 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 Doorless and cave on ones were, I mean, they're by rule. I mean, they weren't egregious, but you know, they, they were callable. I think if those had things that happened to yes. the Ducks quarterback and they weren't called Blazers or Blazers, Ducks fans would have freaked out about that. The pass interference yes. call though, that was straight garbage. Like I don't even understand what they saw or were thinking there. That, you know what that reminded me of? The national championship game with Miami and Ohio State. Remember when that was. They thought it ended on the PI and then they threw the flag a little bit late. It was almost identical to that situation. Let the kids play. I didn't see anything, any advantage either way. If anything, I thought the Stafford guy was a little handsy, but I just thought that was a bad call. And that was the most critical one because that was on fourth down, right? So you could argue that yeah. that call had not been called. I mean, they would not even argue. It's just a fact. They don't call that. They win the game. The other two, you know, those, those to me were legit calls. My thing is, I went back and just and watched that entire drive. And I did stats on it. Stanford, by my calculation, in the final drive in overtime, they were seven of nine on slant passes for 90 yards. And the two incompletions, though, actually technically were not incompletions in the stat book because they both occurred on the cave on penalty and the doorless penalty. So they were seven for seven on slant passes. The three completions in overtime were all slants. The game winner was a slant. Oregon was 
bringing six, but they weren't even always bringing six most of the time because sometimes Sewell would like almost like he was spying. It was weird. Like he would start to go and then back up and just stand there. He wouldn't drop into any type of passing lane like he had hooked the curl or anything like that. He would just sort of stand there and like look at the quarterback and then jump up and try and bat the pass. But behind them, because you're bringing six and you're covering with four of the high safety most of the time, and the man-to-man coverage, I don't know what they were doing in man because usually you take away the inside of man. They were playing outside leverage in some cases. But anyway, they're just giving away the slant. Like it was crazy to me. Take away the one thing they're killing you on. Literally 90 of the 112 yards they gained last drive in overtime were on slant passes. I'm not as uh, – well, let's start with the penalty. I'm with you in that the penalties on Thibodeau and Dorless, they're the right calls. They're the right yeah. calls. You're not going to like them as a Ducks fan. You're going to hate them <laughs> because – your guy gets ejected and, you know, you give up another 15 plus yeah. yards. They're the right calls. Now you could say, well, what are they supposed to do? Well, first off, Thibodeau, that is a harder one. It's hard. It's difficult. You're rushing the passer. You're going in. He releases the ball. You end up hitting him up top and Mace is coming the other way and, you know, bodies are moving and everything. thing. How do you, hey, it is what it is. You, 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 the way the quarterback is being protected these days, you cannot in any way, shape, or form. And I hate that the targeting rule has become, in colloquialism, two things. When fans hear targeting rule, and in some cases broadcasters, and I was listening to the game, as I always do, one ear it's the telecast, the other ear it is usually Oregon's radio broadcast because I'm trying to hear sideline reports from both ways. Um, what, what I hear in my head on a game day is, is very hard to, to make out intelligibly because I'm hearing literally two different things simultaneously. When fans hear it and sometimes when broadcasters hear targeting, they think there's got to be two things. One, intent, which has never been part of the right. rule. Ever, 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 <laughs> ever, ever, <laughs> ever. So it's like, oh, well, he didn't mean to do that. Because that <laughs> it wasn't intentional. It, it, he didn't go out there trying to decapitate the guy. He go, well, that's never been part of the rule ever. Right. So, oh, I, you know, thank you for that, but that means nothing. Right. Uh, it has never meant anything, but thank you for the defense. Right. Um, so, like, it means absolutely nothing whatsoever. And by the way, like, how are you going to actually litigate and legislate and and have a referee? You know, so in other words, it's one, so two. in other words, it's because it wasn't intentional, it's manslaughter targeting. Go ahead. <laughs> right, uh, it's not I mean, murder target. It's manslaughter. Then, then the the other is, and this this was, it was a NFL terminology that got carried into the collegiate game at, at basically the time. And you go back roughly a decade ago, and that was helmet to helmet. And the rule has never been <laughs> since it got change really in 2013 has never been that it only explicitly be helmet to helmet. That was a NFL vernacular that got carried over and that for a decade now, we've only been hearing helmet to helmet. And then therefore, if it's helmet to helmet and some of the most egregious ones that we saw back in the NFL 10 years ago were that way. And in some cases were, were this, the, the rule comes from the spearing rule there were some instances where you literally had defensive backs and safeties spearing like flying projectiles helmet first, right. where it was not just helmet to helmet, 
you really could just say intent because you go like, what else could he possibly put intent? Right. That was NFL blitz style <laughs> absurdity. Right. Um, but that was kind of where we started and where we got to. And then you start applying it to incidental kind of contact like we saw on Saturday and have seen on countless. Did you just reference NFL Blitz, the video game? Okay, yes. that was great. Go ahead. Um, but there are, there are, there are incidental kind of instances where the rule gets invoked and then it becomes, oh, well, he didn't mean to do that. Oh, yeah. well, it wasn't helmet yeah. to helmet. And you go, neither one of those things has applied right. to the way that this rule is legislated and enforced. And yet, unfortunately, that sometimes gets to the disconnect. So when you have an incidental play, is it hard for the defender? Absolutely. Absolutely. However, it was the right call against Thibodeau. Now you could say, well, what about the hit on red moments later where the defender hits him up high and it gets reviewed and they say it got called and then it got overturned? Hey, I actually would like an explanation there because at first glance, obviously he takes, you know, forcible contact to the head or neck area. I mean, it's not even, not even you know, really a question. He, he is a receiver without the ball at that point. So you could argue he's a defenseless, obviously he meets the definition of a defenseless player. The only thing I, I personally can think of on that aspect was that the defender, you could, you really get into the, what is he supposed to do in that when red himself is dropping right. that, he is lowering his own plane and his head. What can the defender and do he hit him in a, to avoid? He hit him with his chest. But again, not the point. Well, if, well, if, well, if, if, because Thibodeau if, didn't hit the, no, didn't hit if, the key. If an offensive player lowers their yeah. head and you hit him with your chest, that's not going to be a penalty. Generally speaking, like a running back, generally, but I do, I do think that, you know, but, but the initial, but the initial point of contact doesn't necessarily have to be it either because you get, you get into the, oh, again, does it have to be held helmet to helmet? No, it, you can start off hitting, you can start off hitting a player in the shoulder. If you end up driving into their head, it is still forceful contact to the head or neck. So like I say, I think it had to do with the fact that he was dropping and a little bit potentially into the, yeah, and where the defender also hit a dropping offensive right. player was in the chest. Now, I do think that there may have eventually been, you know, not exactly helmet to helmet, but like the, the you know, face guard could have potentially hit him a bit. But ultimately, look, deal with the defensive penalties. They were right. If you want to get into the selective enforcement or or the, the call on the play, in particular with Red, sure, but ultimately that wouldn't have necessarily... Uh, you know, it didn't cost them the game. Yes, it would have moved them some yards in overtime, but obviously it wasn't like it was a, a touchdown play or something. Having said all that, the one for Dorless, I don't think there's really an argument. Now, it's not the most egregious roughing the passer, but he's charging at the quarterback and he's going at the shoulder opposite the throwing hand. So you can't say like, oh, he's trying to bat around the ball. I had a, a fan you know, message me this last night. Oh, he's going to, you know, we're trying to, you know, basically say, don't don't try and tip passes. He wasn't going for the right arm. Right. He's going at the left arm. His hand is over here. His, you know, one hand's going out here for the arm. His body's at the other way, which I understand. But then as a result, you come tomahawk chopping across someone's upper body, basically near the throat. They're going to call that. Right. Like that's just a, <laughs> there's no way that that's not going to get called. So no real argument to the contrary on those two. On the defensive hold, I. Do not know how that got called in that 
there's contact both ways. And I, I'm with you. I think that the Stanford receiver had more contact and more. Well, he initiates it too. He runs at the corner. <laughs> he just runs at him. And they're jostling. And then, they're jostling for positioning. Yeah. And I, I thought that he. I thought that the Stanford receiver had a, a greater degree of contact, particularly up high right. to Mike Hale because of the size. Um, at the basically at the end of the separation, I thought the receiver forced separation, greater separation. Right. Uh, and ultimately put himself in a more advantageous position to get to the ball than, than Wright had at the end of the play. So I, I don't know. And then you get into the, the timing of the flag and, oh, well, it comes later. So then it, therefore it must have been an action later. And it goes, no, 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 don't, you know, let's not psychoanalyze what the official saw, didn't saw, how fast he threw the flag or whatnot. I can't speak for the official. I don't know. I don't understand that particular call. Having said that, you can still make a stop. On fifth and goal, you don't have to allow a touchdown in overtime, and you can, if you do all both those things, you can still score offensively in overtime, and it has nothing to do with the preceding couple of penalties either. So, even when I say bad call, terrible call, costly call, sure, all those things, in and of itself, did that guarantee a loss? No, there were other things that obviously preceded it. There were things that followed it. So. Yes, we can you know, drill into those those calls specifically. To the defense allowing the drive and some of the plays you mentioned, like on the slant. This gets into what I was talking about by way of personnel and, and a little bit of strategy. I don't understand the two interior defensive tackles and the two inside linebackers because I don't understand the core. I don't, I, don't, I don't understand the need to play a box of six in a two-minute situation where the opponent has one timeout. I play a light box there and say, oh, well, you could run. Please run. Yeah. Please run. I'm begging you to run. Run all day. I want you to run every play on that drive. Be Stanford. Thank you very much. Do not throw to six foot three wide receivers. This sounds great. Right. Please run. Keep the clock running. Are you crazy? I would have an eight defensive back, nine defensive back package if need be. What are you nuts? What do you, what do you, what was the point of having Popo Amabai on the field at any particular time on that drive? And not knocking Popo. I'm saying, but why do you need two interior defensive tackles? In a two-minute situation, the only thing that mattered was stopping the end zone, and they had to go 95 yards. So, okay, but that so, part of so who like, would, I don't who get would that. you put in there that's going to give you better pass rush then? Well, are we talking about pre-targeting on KT or post-targeting on KT? Because obviously that happened early in the drive. Well, whenever, whenever you think they shouldn't have had that personnel in. From the jump, let's go start of drive, obviously after the first, you know, the, the, they get backed up to their own, you know, four or five-yard line there. I would keep Dorless as the interior, as an interior defensive tackle. One interior defensive tackle. Right. I'd have had uh, KT with him, and then on the other side, uh, whether it be with Mace, you could stick with three, basically. Three and Sewell gives you four, and that would have had seven defensive backs. Yes, seven right. defensive backs. Yes, yes, I would. And you can say, that's crazy. Uh, Rex Ryan played nine defensive backs and tricked Peyton Manning into running on light boxes. And the Jets won an AFC, you know, won in the AFC playoffs in order to get to the AFC title game. This goes back, you know, 10 plus years. Yeah, you're going back to Mark Sanchez. There are all sorts of things. But there are all sorts of things that you can invoke as a defensive, you know. And here's the other thing, too. You can try, you can try what you're saying. 
And if it doesn't work, you can change back. Like that's the one thing about football. You don't have to stick with one thing forever. You can mix and mm-hmm. match. So when people say that right. wouldn't work, even in a two minute, even in a two minute, because both teams, yeah, even in, even a two minute, because both teams call timeouts right. at different points. And then ultimately, if they get inside the red zone, guess what you do? You put a couple of de- you know defensive tackles in, and you play more base. Yeah, but you don't need to play base when you're at the you know minus five. Uh, that I, yeah, I mean, in second I did eight, not second and eighteen. They're second and eighteen after two straight false starts, and well, that's that's on uh, that's their offense. That's Oregon no, I know. Offense, not not no, no. I'm talking yeah. about Stanford. I'm talking about Stanford. When they got, remember they got two false starts on, on that final drive. They they threw an incomplete pass. Then they got two false starts and moved back. Yeah, inside it, was, the, it was technically second. Oh well, yeah, second and nine. It was second and nineteen. Same or whatever, principle. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And yeah, then, same. Same. And play, they yeah. ran and like you said, but they but they brought six. They blitzed. On that next play and gave up the slant for 23 yards. That made no, going and back to you your point, say, like but, make them try and throw out of that against coverage. Yeah. Don't just, and I don't mind creating rush, but this was a team who can generate rush with, with Thibodeau and Funa alone when they went to right, the game. Number one, number two, or with, or with a combination. Like I said, you don't need to bring, you don't need to bring six in order to accomplish. Right. Plus, no matter who the six are, you don't need to bring six. Plus, to if you bring six and they're throwing slants, you're not going to get there anyway. So one step drop for the QB after after catching the shotgun pass. And and here's what's funny. Everyone everyone go back and look at this. The first play of that drive, when he threw the the fade to the slot receiver on the right that went that was over his head, remember that? On that play, Humphreys on the left runs a slant and it's completely uncovered. I have no doubt that the coach was like, Oh, bleep, the slant was wide open. Call that again. And then they called it again and threw the slant for 23 yards. So they saw it. But Oregon didn't see it, and Oregon didn't. And then when they completed it over and over again, Oregon never adjusted. But here's the thing: I don't mind them giving the slant, Aaron. You can't. Stanford had one timeout. They had two they minutes. Had one timeout. You they, want them to throw? You want them to throw to the middle of the field? They had two. Okay. Well, what do you want them to throw? Out routes? You're guarding against them throwing to the sideline and, and, and stopping the clock. Okay, you're, you you're, want them to stay inside. You're literally arguing. So I don't mind literally- that Jamal Hill. I don't <laughs> mind that Jamal Hill is staying and basically trying to guard against going against the outside. He's saying like, "Oh, you're going inside. Fine, keep going inside." Now the yardage you can get into, I, I don't mind. You know, get into whether you're talking about playing, you know, softer and playing more off. We, we can drill into that. But giving up slants on that drive in and of itself. You want them to stay over the middle of the field. You don't want them to be going one, okay. not deep vertical yeah. outside. No, you're right. And so you don't want them out, outside routes. Yeah, you're right. So giving, yeah. giving the interior in of itself is not in of itself no, the worst thing. it's not. I mean, it only cost them the game, but okay. Seven it, it for, dude, seven for seven. That, that seven for it. seven for 90 yards and a touchdown on quick slants. There's no justification for that. And I don't know what kind of man defense they were playing outside. They were playing outside leverage. Like the whole thing was a mess. And I've talked to someone on that staff who says, yeah, we got to teach that better. It was just, yeah, I hear your point. You give up slants in the middle of the field. They had two whole minutes and at least one timeout, right? Yeah. Okay, so saying I'm just yeah. going to give you this slant so you have to run in the line of scrimmage, the clock stops after a first down. So you're not even burning that much time. You run in the line of scrimmage, the clock starts, you lose maybe four or five seconds, and you throw another slant. I, I'll do that all day and, and score, and that's what they did. So my point is, though, is not – I'm not even talking about the DBs necessarily, although if you're in man, you got to protect the inside a little bit. But it's having backers drop into those lanes to make it a tougher read. It's not just an easy, wide-open window. Then you let your four man pass rush maybe develop. But if they, and then when they catch the slant, because there's a slant later they caught for only four yards, they didn't blitz on that play and there were more defenders there to make the tackle right away. 
That's the problem with what they were doing. You're giving up the slant and you're bringing six and you're not getting there because you're throwing slants and there's not as many people in coverage. It's the totality of it. <laughs> it's that person personnel wise. It was, if you're going to try, if you're going to try and take away the inside passing options, then you, you really can't be having six guys in the box. And, and, and whether you're rushing or again, two inside linebackers. I agree. I thought, I thought there was a chance. Last week, entering the game, I said there was a chance to me, potentially, depending on personnel, depending on the availability of the running backs, which obviously Stanford ended up having, you know, a couple of its running backs, uh, which I did say was going to be a, a factor. They had they been down the running backs, I thought there was a chance that Oregon could have employed its dime package more. We only saw a dime a couple of times, and Tim DeRuiter has only turned to the dime package a couple of times throughout the season, mainly in third and eight, third and ten plus situations. Um, to me, that is not nearly enough. It's not. Uh, and again, the, that two minute drive in particular, that's a perfect instance of, to me, I'm in dime the whole time. And if you think, oh, well, money, money quarterback, Andy Avalos was doing that last year <laughs> at times quite successfully. So you can't just say, oh, this is how it, th- th- this is like basic strategy by way of personnel. You start there. Then you get into the, the more nuances of how you want to defend all against the same. Well, it's hard to defend against the slants the way Aaron would like to when you have four guys on the front with two defensive tackles and both inside linebackers. It's a more difficult situation compared to if you had a sixth defensive back, or in my case, I take it to extremes, seven or eight defensive backs on the field. Yeah, of course. But what you need is a, there's, there was no, there was no second level def- defensive line. There was DBs dropping. And off man with a safety in the middle, and then you had everyone in the box coming. So then you have a huge giant gap in the middle between the DBs dropping and the rush. I don't care who's in there. I don't care. You want to put defensive tackles dropping? I don't care. You want a bunch of DBs? Great. That makes sense because they're fast and quick, and they're going to break, make, break on the ball and, and get to the ball carrier faster. But even if you're going to keep the personnel they kept, drop those guys into the hook to curl so that they're there to, to make it a tougher play for the quarterback. They literally were playing flag football. The quarterback for Stanford was playing. It was no different than seven on seven because the pass rush was never going to touch him on a, on a quick one-step drop. And they're running slants into absolutely uncovered holes. That's my point. That to me is just like you're just giving away the game. And your point is 100% correct too because if you're going to play it the way they're – they're playing it well wait wait they shouldn't be pass rushing anyway the way they're doing it blitzing but if you're gonna defend the pass the way we're both talking about they should have then yes put athletes out there you want athletes who are gonna break on the ball you want athletes who are gonna make tackles in space right away you want guys who if the quarterback scrambles are gonna track him down you don't want lumbering d tackles out there trying to track down a, a quarterback if he scrambles you want speed on the field and if they start running on you then you can adjust your personnel but i think both of us agree that the strategy they employed was an absolute disaster on the on the drive as a whole yeah and the shame and in overtime is, the real shame of it it well again in overtime you start getting into coin flip like scenarios by way of but i'm just saying they came and did the exact drum, same thing you know? and stanford threw a slant slant Plant touchdown, game over. <laughs> but they ultimately hit on a third and 11. And it was a slant. You don't want the touchdown? Yes, but they hit on a third. Yeah, because yeah, before that, they ran the ball and lost a yard. All right, so the point is, is the, the the shame of it, given the two-minute situation and even all right, you know, the couple of stops they did have in overtime, was 
that the defense had played so well leading into that, that 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 ends up being the way it goes at the end. You just go like, oh man, did the deep way the defense played How? well? I mean, they ran for thirty three. Oh, minutes. you're going back. I, I thought you meant well. on that. On that, I'm I saying, think you meant overtime. Heading into okay. yeah, no, heading into the two minute drive, the defense had played so well. Some of the players in question were. We're not making about the players by way of uh, 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 how Stanford gained the yards, but there were individual performances like, all right, yes, Jamal Hill was in coverage a couple times on the tight ends. Look, they ba- Stanford barely threw at DJ James all game. Then all of a sudden on fifth and goal, they throw at DJ James. They had barely thrown at him all day. So, you know, th- between the play of up front where they were knocking them off schedule for 30 plus minutes, Nate Hukalani made several plays over the course of the game. So when we say about, Oh, why are you keeping a couple of inside linebackers in on the drive? This is not about criticizing how Noah or Nate played on the drive. We're talking, it's not about because of the, it's more about strategy than it is about the individual performance, uh, to be clear. And they had, like I say, what's really just unjust about it is that they had played so well for 33 plus minutes and then that be the way things end. But Hill had had a good game and tied for the team high in tackles. Uh, he made some fine plays in space. He had one of the biggest hits of the day. Uh, again, James was solid in coverage damn near all day. Uh, Wright was good in coverage most of the day. Yeah, he got beat on a couple. Sure. Tremaine in particular on the early touchdown, but you're giving up that kind of size. But ultimately, it was not as though, again, it wasn't like we're going on and on about a defense that allowed 40, 50 points, abject failure and everything else. The defense played really well for a huge swath of this game. And then all of a sudden at the end, not just individual play or because the outcome was what it was, I think what Aaron and I are both really getting to is here, where they put in position the best position to have success, let alone whether or not success or failure occurred in the end. And I think both of us are basically arguing and making the point that I don't think either of us feel that they're necessarily put in position. No. And they uh, didn't adjust. Those, those, those two. And they didn't possessions. adjust. They never adjusted. Seven for seven. Seven for seven for 90 yards on slants and a game winning touchdown. Seven for seven. That's going to be certainly <laughs> a question for, for the defense, uh, for Tim DeRuiter, uh, for Meyer Crispo in particular here during the bye and, and coming out of it, you know, obviously heading into, you know, the Cal game on the 15th and, and the rest of the way. But like I say, to me, I get more into the personnel um, and, and the strategy of it by way of – and I know I could hear about, well, the college game, how many how many defenses do you really see employing all these other personnel packages? I'm not talking about getting crazy exotic, man. I'm not talking about – I'm not, not, not talking about it's doing this even, in What you're quarter. talking about is not even about science, On a two-minute – no, it's, it's not. It's not. You know, I've seen – this. you, you got to have – you got to have more. <coughs> Excuse me. you got to have more by way of personnel packages. Up front and in the secondary, you gotta have different combinations. You gotta be able to play dime at times when it's not just third and ten plus. You, yeah, both, both strategically as a play call, you have to be able to do that. Up front, you have to have a true, uh, it's a term that's it's used pretty widely in, particularly in college football, rabbits package. I don't know, and I know that without Swinson and, and Adrian Jackson Jr., that there's certainly a major impact here. But with KT, without KT, either way, I have not seen a true rabbits package from this team, which in vernacular for the average person, a designated pass rush, only pass mm-hmm. rush package. The only time I think we saw it 
was the sack that KT caused for Braden Swinson against Fresno State. Yes, not happen when KT gets ejected and Swinson's obviously not in the game. You could say, well, what do you want him to do? There are other bodies right. who can do this. You can't say like, oh, well, they're, they're not there. So therefore, it's just impossible to just... Look, Nonsense. man, I don't, look, Nonsense. all, all, the, all you got to be able to bring all I've right been now. hearing and seeing about recruiting the last four years. I don't want to hear anything about depth. As far as, I've been told this is the deepest, most talented Oregon team in the history of the planet. Let me, I want to see it. They should have, they should be three deep. Well, still, they are, that, that depth is still <laughs> overwhelmingly young, but, but they have to show more variety of it. I'm not sure that they're the guys who signed in, in 19, the guys who signed in 19, that was a top 10 class, right? 19, 20, 21. Those guys are in their third year. Where are they? It's 20 something guys. The guys signed in 20 are in their second there's, year. That's sophomore, redshirt freshman. Let, well, sec, second year when, when last year was five or six games I, for some. I know. I'm just uh, saying. Seven, you, seven only get, you only get four. They get, they're in their second. Well, let's see some, no, let's see some ballers. Say, right, right now, right now, college football, stars. you get six, seven, eight. I'm not saying eight, they all need to be stars. I've seen sophomores dominate. We've seen sophomores dominate. Let's see them. Yeah. Let's see all these, these, these talented kids they've been recruiting all these years. It's time for the recruiting classes, the rankings that, to match the talent on the field. And so far, I'm not seeing it. Now again, you know, <laughs> aside from injuries, to the, to, to, aside from injuries, to the to the very <laughs> to the very wide you know to the very wide lens here for a moment. They did still beat Ohio State, so let's not okay, get but, up but okay, but let's bias. go back to that. They but recency State, bias in that. No, no, no. They beat Ohio that, State, but let me ask a question. Everything is a disaster. Was that an, up, was that an upset? Was that an upset? Was that an upset or were they better? Yes. Right. It was an upset. So Both. here's my point. On Both. This. My, okay, my point. Both. I don't think they're better than Ohio State. I think Ohio State wins that game seven, eight out of ten times. Yes, absolutely. 100%. 100%. That so was, they, they that didn't was, just out coach, they didn't just out coach, they outplay, they out scheme, they out coach, they out executed. Oh, I'll say it was that game physical, seven out of dominated eight, seven, the line seven, of scrimmage. Seven, eight out of ten times. I the same that. way Oregon fans believe they beat Stanford seven, eight out of ten times. It's the, it's the same type of mindset. I came away from that game feeling they won the game. They were not better. They did not dominate Ohio State. Ohio State wins that game seven out of ten times. What has happened in the last they three weeks? They didn't dominate Ohio State in the game. They dominated them? They dominated them on the, on the line of scrimmage? They gave up. They, they killed them on the line okay, of scrimmage. Okay, I didn't say specifically one area. I said they didn't dominate them in the game. It was 35-28. They gave up 600 yards. And I've already gone through the run game yeah. that Ohio State was doing a bunch of stupid, dumb stuff on the run defense. Just like you're saying, Oregon just did yeah. a bunch of silly things yeah. against Stanford. So it all works both ways. My point is, a lot of people thought that game, like, all this nonsense about could have been the biggest win ever. You got to back it up. But a lot of people thought that game signaled the arrival of that team. And I was one of the few people going, yeah, they won, but... But, but, and here we are three weeks later, three games later, and everything I was saying about that game, about that team, has come to fruition in the last three weeks. They are just simply not that great. They're good. They can still win the conference, but they're not that great. And so I'm just saying we're four years removed of all these recruiting classes. Let's start seeing these guys get out there and ball out and make some plays because we're just not seeing it on a consistent basis, not on a national caliber basis as far as I'm concerned. And we'll obviously get, we've got plenty of time to get into that more each do. and every week, but there's, there's presently only two teams in college football who are truly, you know, separated themselves in any way as true greatness, uh, at any point for one, uh, and two, you know, this team does only have seven super seniors, uh, and 10 players who fall into the quote unquote junior designation. Uh, so with a roster of 
you know, 88 guys. But uh, you're counting the COVID a thing. roster that's over three quarter. You're, ca- over you're three counting the COVID. You're counting the COVID year though. There's sophomores who were in their third year. Yes, because that, I, I count the COVID thing for everybody in college sports. But, yes. but they're um, still of age of a person who should be contributing at a high level if they were such great recruits three years ago. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Okay. So eight. I'll throw away the seventeen. One of those players who was recruited three years ago. One of those players who was recruited three years ago is Micah Pittman. Micah Pittman has missed basically a full season of football between injury and COVID, and now he's in his third season. Now you could argue about relative production and other things, but ultimately you say, well, he's a third year player. He was a highly retired recruit. He was this that that. Yeah, he also missed. I understand, but they've signed eight four star receivers in the last four years, right? At least, yeah. And three of them right now have, have not, you know, are freshmen who have not had a uh, either ton of rep opportunity or a ton of targets necessarily so far this season. But we are only talking five games. I understand. I'm, I'm just saying. We've all seen explosive talent. We've all seen what it can do. We're not seeing it on this roster right now. And I know there's been injuries. I'm not. I'm. I'm I account for that. I just said at the beginning of the show. Maybe the most injuries I've ever seen. I'm just saying that they've allegedly recruited all this depth and all this talent and all these people. And you, you every time you turn around, the Ducks got a great commit, another commit. Look at the Ducks, the Duck flock, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Let's see some ballers out on the field, you know, creating havoc and, and taking apart a Stanford team who lives on two and three star kids with 4.0 GPAs. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's all. I'm not being, I'm not trying to be, I'm not trying to be overly critical here, but I'm just saying, I don't want to hear about depth issues when all I've been hearing about for three years is how great or four years, how great they recruit. Okay. Well, show me. Next man up. Let's go. (laughs) You're listening to Ducks Confidential. We'll be back after a quick break. To the offense and and the issues there, because you know we could certainly go for quite a while on it. But uh, <clears throat> let's start at the quarterback position, where there you know, and I realize you know here we are, we're getting into it this long in, but this there's obviously a lot to go over over from the game. And I know that you know for the quarterback position, for most every you know fan, it always starts there. And and you know, there's nobody more popular in in sport than the backup quarterback. It's the way it goes. But when it is back-to-back weeks of extremes in performance for Anthony Brown Jr., where at his peak, at his best in the game, he makes certain plays where you go, wow, all right, that was a nice throw, or that was a great decision on the run, or it was an athletic play, or that was an elusive, you know, showed an evasion from the pass rush, whatever the case is. But at the Valley, he had not had a turnover yet. And then he doesn't just throw his first interception of the season on Saturday and it leads the points and it, it builds a 10 nothing hole very quickly. But he makes multiple bad decisions in the passing game, makes multiple bad decisions in the read option game. And they prove very costly uh, at different points. And now after five games where the stats are what they are, and after back-to-back weeks in particular where some of these same issues, again, not pitching to CJ by the goal line in back-to-back weeks on what would have been touchdowns in back-to-back weeks in particular, 
Not making it about only one play, but that is the point. It's not about one play. It's not about one play from week to week. It's not about one play in the game. It's not about one play on the ground. It does start to legitimize. Not to start, it just flat out does legitimize the general discourse and questioning about is he the best quarterback for this team? Is is making a change something that needs to be explored? Because to me especially, all right, five games, all oh, a small sample, this, that. Hey, after five games last year, it was deemed insufficient for what Tyler Shuck was doing. And in game six, Anthony Brown took the field in certain situations in the Pac-12 title game. And in game seven, in the bowl game, he played more of the game. And and, well, and they got shut out in the second half. <laughs> and if it wasn't sufficient. For Shuck. A year ago, for right. Shuck, who had better numbers yep. than Brown presently has and didn't have the benefit of playing Fresno State and Stony Brook and a bad Arizona team along the way, then why is it now presently sufficient? And especially when you hear about, you know, super senior, decision maker, um, you know, isn't going to put the ball in jeopardy. And look, he had not put the ball in jeopardy a lot by any stretch of the imagination in the first four games. But his decision making the past couple of weeks has left a lot to be desired. He was obviously quite explicit about his own performance uh, and self-assessment after the game. So it's not as though, uh, you know, he need be told about any of that. But point is, is, you know, knowing it is one thing and not being in denial about it for sure. On the other hand, to the big picture, what is best for this team, who is still in the top 10? Yes, is 8 in one poll, 9 in the other poll. But forget about the polls. Between injuries, quarterback decision-making, strategy, and every which other thing, has to find a lot of answers before October the 15th. Forget about November. Forget about playoff rankings. Forget about anything. This team needs answers in all kinds of directions. Let's start with the first question. <laughs> is he the right quarterback and how big are the issues, in your opinion, Aaron, for what we've seen the last couple of weeks? Man, so <clears throat> there's so many different directions I want to go in here. So number one, the difference between last year and this year is that at least last year you had a veteran guy who'd done it before, whereas now you have a bunch of kids who've never played college football really, right? So that's one difference in terms of you know in- introducing Anthony Brown into the offense last year. But this this just has to be said flat out. They botched this entire situation with how they dealt with Tyler Shutt. There, when they told, they told Tyler Shuck, Anthony Brown is the starter going into the spring. You're going to have to try and beat him out. He's the guy moving forward. That's why Shuck left. I can't believe, I couldn't believe at the time they did that. I still can't believe today that they did that because as up and down as he was, he led the conference in passing efficiency in his first season as a starter. And you just talked about COVID. You, you know, discounting some of the COVID things, you know, it was a disjointed season. Well, that's what he had to deal with as a flipping quarterback. And you tell him Anthony Brown's the guy when you have a body of work on Anthony Brown. This is who Anthony Brown has been. And I'm not trying to disparage Anthony. Everything I know about him, a great kid. Um, he's doing his best. He's working hard. I hoped he'd have a great season, but this is exactly who he was at Boston College. He's a solid quarterback. He's not. Great. His completion, career completion percentage is 55.4%. And all of a sudden they thought he was going to be 56. Why? Because he was 65 last year in 15 or 23 attempts. 
that wasn't who he was. That was just very spot duty situations where he made a few plays. This is who he is. And you alienated Shuck. If anything, I would have said, Shuck, you're the starter, but because I'd invested three years in Shuck. I recruited Shuck. I say, Shuck, you're the starter, but Anthony's right there. It's going to be a competition. Then Shuck probably stays. And now even if Brown beat him out, you could go to Shuck. Or Shuck starts, he struggled, then you can go to Brown. Now you're looking at a situation where you're going to go from Brown to a true freshman. Now, here's a red, here's a red flag on, on Ty Thompson for me right now. And you cover the team you're all the time, and I just go to the pick parts here and there and talk to certain people here and there. So you know more than I do probably on this. But what I'm hearing from people is that Ty Thompson just isn't ready. Like the idea that they just go to Ty Thompson, like like he's the second coming of uh, who's, who's a recent five-star QB god, the Carolina, North Carolina kid or, or some five-star unstoppable, you know, Johnny Menzel type guy. It's just not what I'm hearing at all. And I think the evidence of that is the fact that a, he was the number one rated quarterback in the country, right? That means you're supposed to be a future first round pick. <laughs> He's been there all winter and he hasn't beaten out the guy that we're seeing right now. And they haven't gone to him in any way, stretch or the, uh, imagination like they did with Sh- going to Brown last year with Shuck, which tells me that they know Ty Thompson is not going to do any better. That's just my, based on what I'm hearing from people inside the program, he's not ready and it's not going to be any better. Now you might say, well, just roll the dice. You can always go back to Brown. But I just think the idea that it's just a given, go to the five-star kid, he's going to get it done. If that were the case, he'd already be there. One more quick point. I brought up early in the season, comparing the situation to Prue Cup in 2016 and Herbert. The, the transfer kid who's not great, but okay, managed the game, et cetera, et cetera. It's playing out just like that almost. The difference is back then, we kept hearing, because practices were closed, we kept hearing about Her- Herbert, that Herbert was just killing it. People were calling him Herbiota, like literally comparing him to Mariota, because he was just a savant mentally in terms of picking stuff up, and he was so smart with the ball, and of course, he had, he had incredible arm talent. You, again, you're there. I'm only talking to people, you know, that I know within the program. I'm not hearing the same things about Ty. I'm not hearing that Ty is just amazing. Ty is just lighting it up. Ty is unstoppable. Ty is just ter- I'm not hearing those types of things. So if we're not hearing that, then there's no re- reason to assume that he's going to come out and just be amazing and they're going to be fine there. So you you tell me what you're hearing about him behind closed doors. Maybe you'll shed a different light on this than what I'm hearing. Well, I think they feel really good about Ty Thompson in the big picture. But they did so, about Shuck. I, I was told it. numerous times, that's... Shuck's the guy, Shuck's the guy, Shuck's the guy. Mm, I, My conversations I, with I, people on the coaching staff were, Shuck is the real deal. But anyway, go ahead. They, 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 I, I think they felt good about Tyler in the 19th season as a option to, if, if something were to have happened to Herbert, that they could turn to him in, in certain spots. Uh, but I think that there was enough evidence along the way, even before uh, Anthony Brown's arrival, that there was a lot of hedging going on. Clearly, that's why they brought in Brown. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, but it, but it wasn't just oh well, look at the timing that it was, and you know, again, go back to you know the morning of the Rose Bowl, and there's the the report that they're talking to Jamie Newman, you know, that day, you know, so you know. There's, there, there's certainly, and, and that week, you know, we're talking to Tyler Shuck, you know, a few days before that at, at Rose Bowl Media Day about basically being the starter, you know, in, in, in a month, you know, and, and entering spring and everything else. And meanwhile, you know, 
you hearing about how they're talking to Jamie Newman. Um, and then obviously end up pursuing Brown, who was working out with Newman. Um, it was in the, the graduate transfer kind of situation, the same situation. So, look, they, they feel good about Thompson in the big Allegedly. picture for sure. For sure. Allegedly. They, they, I've, I've heard nothing but good things by way of how they feel about his ability uh, in, in the long run. But in terms of the here and the now, it is so easy for fans to not just, oh, well, bank, bank on the young guy, play the long game, etc. When you get to play a video game. As a fan, you get to play a video game. Hey, just go that direction. Oh, if it doesn't work. Ah, well, I'm not responsible if they lose a bunch of games and they were a top 10 team. So, you know, eh, <laughs> whatever. What are you going to do? Oh, well, it didn't work out, Terrence Point, because maybe the young guy's not ready and I have to go go back to the other guy after I just undercut him. Ah, whatever. Hey, don't worry about it. You're not the guy in the room. You're not managing personalities. You're not dealing with, you know. That's, and that's, by the way, you're not have to go on the road and recruit at the quarterback position after you do stuff like that. Wait, after you do, stu- so, after you do stuff like what? You, 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 after you do stuff like potentially undercut somebody, bring in somebody else. If that doesn't pan out, go back to the original person. The original person in this case is somebody who you brought in, who superseded the guy who you had in the building. The, in the, last, first the place. last time Oregon did that, start getting the last time, you and, the last time Oregon did that, the quarterback they did it to ended up contending for the Heisman before he blew out his knee. They don't owe anything to Brown. You, you, you bench Brown, you bring in Thompson, Thompson struggle, you go back to Brown. What, what, what can Brown say? Brown can't complain. It's not a, that's, that's not a, that's not the issue. What, what are you talking about then? I'm, you lost me on that. Are you talking about Brown? It's not a matter, it's not a matter of whether or not he can complain, uh, uh, yell, scream, or anything else, Aaron. It's, it, and, and, it's and about I'm recruiting. Not that he would do any, any of those things. It's about just the optics of how, you're coaching your football oh, hey, team. Look, you're not. You're trying to find right. a quarterback. And then you, yes. So if you want, to, yes. I'm saying you try Thompson. I, okay, I, I'm saying, like I said, I don't think Thompson's ready based on what I'm hearing. If he is ready and they love him, put him out there. He can't be worse. If he's worse than what Brown is right now, then he shouldn't have been a five star quarterback. I sh- I'm looking at him right now. Rivals Nash in the nation, number two for his position, ten nationally ranked, five, like. like there's no way he can't be he because here's the thing when you're a five star ranked number one or number two in the nation you should be so dynamic that whatever your deficiencies are in terms of reading defenses whatever you dumb down the playbook and let the guys just go play it's not like they're running complicated stuff for brown they're not even pushing the ball downfield right so i'm saying that either they don't believe ty thompson's ready or they just don't know what they're doing with the quarterback position. Because at that point, at this, or I say this, or he's just simply not the talent they thought he was. Because if the talent is there, this dynamic talent is there, I can't imagine you wouldn't play him if he was ready. Then to that point, I, I think there is a degree of that, as there should be, by the way, with any true freshman quarterback in their first fall. You know, how many college quarterbacks out there at the power five level are playing as true freshmen and leading top 10 teams in their first fall on a campus? All of them. It doesn't wait, happen. Wait, wait, wait. All the ones who are legit and all the ones who are on teams that don't have another legit quarterback at starter, starting at quarterback. Yes. If you're a five star kid and you go to a team that has a future NFL 
prospect at quarterback, you're going to wait behind him. But if you go to a team that's a sixth year senior, keep in mind, Anthony Brown's only eligible because of COVID, right? If, if there wasn't for the COVID, yeah. okay, so then Chuck, so then Chuck would be here anyway if that hadn't that rule hadn't been in place where you could keep that year because Brown would have been out of the eligibility. So it would have been Shuck within the starter with Ty Thompson backing him up. But so the only reason why they were able to pull this off with Brown was because of COVID. So, but, so my point is, he, Brown isn't any better than what he was last year, what he was at Boston College. You know what you're getting from Brown. If Ty Thompson is this dynamic five-star, unbelievable talent, it doesn't make any sense at all to me that they wouldn't turn to him just to get the talent out there. Can he push the ball downfield better? Can he run better? Is he going to make special plays? Is he going to make mistakes? Fine. The guy you have right now is making mistakes. So what does it matter? Is he going to make that many more mistakes that his talent's not going to overwhelm you because it's so much better than Brown? If not, then he shouldn't have been a five-star kid. Do you see how this goes in a circle? Something's not right here. You can't justify that this guy's great and it's going to be amazing and, but oh, we can't play him ahead of Anthony Brown. Anyway, go ahead. Sorry. You can't. I, I don't I don't draw. I, I, I don't draw the direct... Uh, uh, path of they were a five star, so therefore they need to be ready within five minutes. I didn't okay. Uh, because that doesn't. Work. It wasn't five uh, minutes. He's at, been at, there at, since at any the number winter. of positions. The only the only place is so what the winter? Who gives a he's, damn? He's winter? had nine that's, months to learn the system. Relevant. He's had nine months to learn. Great, wonderful. Okay, it took it took I, it took Herbert a month and a half. It took Mario in history like a second. In, in, in the history but of college Tom football, Eric, in the history months. of college okay. football, so freshman didn't play. Freshman didn't play. So you're play. telling me he's not great. You're telling me he's not. You're, if you're telling me he can't no, get ready in nine that, months, it's not. It's not eternal on, damnation on, that because on, he's not ready to go in game five or game six. Uh, just because he's not superseding a sixth year quarterback who isn't very good doesn't mean he isn't very good, dude. Sure. So if Ty Tom, I'm not sitting here. Let's put this. Let's put there's, this. There's way. two different let, points. Let me, let me put it this way. Let me put it this way. Had Darren Thomas played like Ty Thompson in 2011, Mariota would have been in. When Dakota Prukup struggled, Herbert came in, and both when they did finally play were unbelievable. What I'm saying is, if this kid is on that level, he's a he's rated higher as a recruit, and sometimes recruiting's iffy. We all get that. If he's on that level, if he's the next great Oregon quarterback, he should absolutely be ready right now. Because those guys were. Kellen Clemens was early on in his career. So where is it? So that's what I'm saying. They either know he's not ready or the, the talent just isn't there to the point where they won't put him ahead of a guy who's struggling. That's all I'm saying. Something does, there's the, the disconnect there that doesn't make any sense to me. And nine months is plenty and of time. And if he's not ready in if he's not ready in the fifth or sixth game, that's not an indicator that he's never they going don't to feel be good about him in the long no, term. I, no, I hear you. I, I'm not saying he has no future at all. I'm just saying this is a red flag to me. Because if he's this ta- this talented, this highly touted, what are you gonna lose? Simplify the playbook and just let him go out there and just make plays. Just be an athlete. Didn't Auburn start Bo Nix as a true freshman? And he beat Oregon. Was he true or redshirt? How did he do the rest of the way? He was up and down, of course. But was he better than? Was he has he been better than Anthony Brown? We're 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 we're, <laughs> we're having two different conversations Are we? here. One yes, okay. one conversation is the 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 relative strength of the play of Anthony Brown, of which I am in no 
way defending relative to I'm raising the point that it's not even comparable really to, to the way Tyler Shuck played in the short sample of last season. And it raises the question about whether or not he is the best suited player at the position for the rest of this season, potentially. I raised that point. I'm with you there. I don't have a disagreement on that. But raise the question of that's question one. Question two is the relative readiness of a true freshman to be that guy. And if he is not right now, what that means, because he's a true freshman, and he's been here for nine months and hasn't even doing anything. These are two different questions. The first question is the strength of the existing player and the starter, which has not been very good in a small sample. However, again, peaks and valleys. It hasn't been, oh, he's thrown 12 interceptions and two touchdowns. Oh, he hasn't also made plays with his legs. Oh, he hasn't also thrown left hash to right out. You know, at his best, he has made some very nice plays. In the first game, rocky as the offense was, scores the winning touchdown. In the second game, completion percentage may not have been great, but made all the right decisions in terms of winning on the road at Ohio State. You know, something that everybody goes and does. Uh, Hey, and again, at his best, he has had some fine moments. At his worst, and this past week is certainly his worst total game performance in a five-game or whatever we want to call last year sample at Oregon. It has not been you know, a, a vast amount of performance, but be that as it may, it was his worst game performance. Again, I think he basically ready concedes that himself. All right. Well, he raises questions then about what do you do with the position going forward? Well, when the option is, when the next option appears to be and is pretty much designated as such to be a true freshman, well, he's been here for nine months and then therefore, you know, has he been doing anything? Is he not ready? He may not be ready now, but that doesn't necessarily mean that he won't never be or that he can't be two weeks from now, a month from now. Uh, I don't think that has any indictment by way of Ty Thompson's ability or how the coaching staff feels about him for the long run. But I don't think that you just say, well, surely he must simply be better than what we're dealing with now. So then therefore, I didn't say must be. I said, if and then he's if it not, blows up, I said, if he's not, then to me, it's concerning. And I, first of all, let me just clarify one thing. Oh. I agree with you that even if he's not ready this entire season, that doesn't mean he can't still be great. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that you have an issue there and you have this kid. You can, you can narrow the playbook down. You just got beaten by quick slants, right? You can they, they, look, that had nothing to do with the quarterback. My, 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 no, the quarterback. my point is that you can narrow, you can shrink the playbook down for him, and just let him be an athlete. Let him use his arm strength to go downfield. You can just play him some of the time with Brown, which we've seen here at Oregon before. We just saw it last year with Brown and Shuck. There's different things you can do to use him if he is all that. My point is, is that Brown is struggling so mightily in so many different areas that it's weird to me that you can't figure out how to get this other kid on the, on the field if he truly is this dynamic, amazing talent. I go back and you know, I go back to history again. I've seen, like, I, I'm saying this because I've seen this play out before. Morgan Mihalik was a top 10 rated quarterback. Travis Johnson was a number three rated dual threat quarterback in the nation. They couldn't beat out Jeff Lockie. And we all saw Jeff Lockie, God bless him, great young man, struggle. We all saw this guy go out there and clearly could not do it. And they would never put Mihalik in or Johnson in. And it was like, oh yeah, that's a red flag. And sure enough, both ended up transferring. So that's all I'm saying here is that when you have mediocre quarterback play, you have a recruit like this, and then Butterfield as well. 
He's a four-star kid. This is this is second. Wait, was he a true freshman last year? Okay, so he's been there two years now. They're not looking at him as maybe potentially doing something. So that, I'm just saying, dude, that's just that's weird to me if the talent is truly there. Because again, you don't have to run complex crossing patterns with digs over the middle and all that kind of stuff. You can run simplistic stuff just to utilize their talent, the arm talent, if it's there. That's all I'm saying. Yes, I don't like playing the quarterback. Uh, uh, Kayvon's playing true freshman. Sewell's playing general. true freshman. All these, Flo was playing, would have been playing true freshman, not for hurt. They're all five-star, oh my God, oh my God. And they go out there and they have talent. It's dynamic talent. When you're a five-star kid, you're supposed to be dynamic. Mm-hmm. Let's see it. Go ahead, sorry. <laughs> if I had to go over the percentages year to year of how many five-stars redshirt, probably somewhere around 30 to 45 percent so but they redshirt on teams usually because they have a good talent in front of them that they have to wait behind sometimes they have to wait behind or or they redshirt because they weren't because they were overrated they shouldn't have been five star that too I, 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 that's the only two reasons every single five star in the history of college so, football ask- but the point is is there's again you're getting into this this designation means all American instantaneously. I have no, no idea. I have no, I, and I don't think that works at every position, particularly at the quarterback position. Because if it was so easy, then we would see if it was that obvious with 130 teams in college football and a roughly equal distribution, if anything, a more heavy distribution towards freshmen, we would probably see 30 or 40 freshmen a year just lighten it up, going crazy. Especially of that proportion, eh, probably somewhere about eight to ten. Again, top ten quarterback. Therefore, we gotta have eight to ten so just what, freshmen going your, bananas, so going point, crazy. So your my point, point is, is, is if it was that simple, we ain't seeing it. Point, your, we ain't seeing your it. Your Here's is, a five star from a year ago, DJ Uyunga Galay. What's he doing right now? Is, your point he's is, got a Dr Pepper commercial, but Clemson's a two loss team. Does that mean that he's never going to be good? I never said. Does that mean I, that he was uh, an overrated said, recruit? I never said Ty's never going to be good. What I'm saying is, so that, point is, is historically. Freshmen didn't even play on the varsity because team. They played when you go against, way because back they played in college football. Guys who were better, who were also four no, or five they weren't even on the older. team, Aaron, because there was a freshman team back in the sixties. James, James, if if I there James, were different things. James, the only re- there were so now it's now oh well now freshmen are you, you got to be ready to go instantaneously, say, and if you're not, say, you're a bust not and I'm get saying. out and transfer. That's not what I'm saying. No, I'm not saying you said that's it. I'm, I'm saying that there are it's so easy for fans who say it. Who now it's. Every position, particularly a quarterback, it's if you're not ready instantaneously, then get the hell out. No, that doesn't. That that's crazy. Not, I don't agree with that. That's I don't nuts. Agree with that at all. You, and 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 that doesn't work. And I'm again. I'm not saying okay. you are. I'm saying for fans who jump to that extreme, you have to have a degree of context in that. Hey, it takes a minute. And whether we're talking about a quarterback, whether you're talking about a running back, whether you're talking about wide receiver, you're talking about it linebacker, we're talking about it left tackle, edge run. Yeah, and you go, oh, well, Penesul, oh, well, Kayvon Thibodeau, oh, well, no. You just, yeah, you rattled off a handful of guys who happen to all be at the same program in a short period of time. That speaks to them and their ability. It doesn't speak to the large data sample of great players and their abilities in sport. Sometimes it takes a minute. And that is not satisfying for fans. I freely agree. Because ultimately, what does this get to? Whether we're talking about the quarterback or to the to the issues at a whole, fans, as they should, all fans, Ducks fans, Beavers fans, everybody, pro, college, high school, 
Everybody wants their cake and to eat it too. Everybody wants their team to win. Everybody wants their team to be a champion. Everybody wants their team to be undefeated. Anything less than that is unacceptable, particularly once you're in that conversation. <laughs> right. And you look at and see what Alabama does, what Georgia does, what Clemson has yeah, why done. Why can't we be like them? And why can't we be like right. them? And that's – I get that perspective. I don't. I it's understand ridiculous. and respect and appreciate respect it. that they're – but that's – no, but that's that's fan I, – I get it. I get – hey, why the why can't we be? Why not us? Because you can't. I get it. I totally get it. But if it was that easy, everybody would be doing it all exactly. the time. And listen, there's a reason why it's taken Alabama and Georgia time. I realize, oh, well, Alabama now would just roll on out there and they could lose any number of guys. They could lose the whole offense of the greatest team of all time and just truck on out there with somebody else. You want to go back to year one and two? Would you like of to? Alabama? They, they, Again, they lost to an FCS team, didn't they? They lost to ULM. Yeah. So would you like to go back historically and what the building process looked like? Now, it can happen a lot faster there, okay? But point is, is let's not, you know, you glaze over the – the point is, is in the big picture, you you glaze over the, the growing pains that come up with some of these teams and some of these programs because then you just see the success at the end right. and you didn't remember the beginning. The Clemsoning used to be a bad word. <laughs> well, then they went on a great seven-year run. And now look, now because they lost a bunch and because they didn't necessarily fill in everything perfectly on the recruiting side, oh, well, now they may not be – they're out of the top 25. Forget about contending for, for, for playoff. Oh, well, this may be a down year. Okay. But you, you forgot about the early years of Dabo. You forgot about the first couple of years for Kirby at Georgia where, you know, what was bad, quote, unquote, bad. It was still all relative. Well, they have had success, growing success, sustained success under Mario here at Oregon. They set a foundation. They have won back-to-back. No, stop saying that. In cont- Stop saying they Again, went you back to take back. away the trophy. Come on, they were four You want to take away the trophy. I'm take not taking away the trophy, but take they, away the they, trophy. They didn't. Ac- okay, for the last time, take away the trophy. Go when ahead. you win a pack, take away the trophy. when Oregon wins Pac-12 titles, they usually win 10, 11, 12 games. They won. They went four and three. Like they, they weren't I just. I ugh, that just drives me nuts. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. Fine. They were champions they have, last year. Whatever. They won it. They beat USC in a game in a make believe game. They have recruited at a high level. They've recruited at a high level for three plus years, going into four years yep. now. That continues on a strong. And, and they got a sixth year transfer quarterback. on the field continues on a strong. And they got a sixth year transfer quarterback. Go ahead. This year, yeah, yeah, yeah. With with they've three, had five recruiting cycles, and they have a sixth year with transfer three freshmen behind that. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and they, and they got no depth uh, yeah, at running I'm back. Not they every no single depth guy running back. they ever signed. They got no depth at running back. That, Go ahead. You're saying I, I don't say they have no depth. Okay, we'll see. No so proven depth. There's, we'll see. there's a there's a there's a divide between the most experienced guys and and the depth that they do have. We'll see how the young guys. I hope the young guys by do way well. of experience, experience. Right. Okay. But it, but that's a skilled position where you can play freshman quicker. Right. Historically speaking, it shouldn't be an issue. But but in year four, you don't have to have all the answers to be elite and great. I agree. They're still a top 10 team right now. For as many issues as we have identified and discussed over the last nearly 90 minutes, and there are many, and that's part of what we're getting into here, and that's what we'll wrap up here in a minute, on the bye week. For as many issues as this team has, in the truly, truly wide-angled, like 50,000-foot lens, there's still a lot good going on. Of course. 
So how do you fix it in the short term? And some of the issues that we have identified and discussed and belabored for not just 90 minutes today, but plus, you know, in the prior month. Well, that's where you get into the debates and the discussions. But all I get to is do not in fandom and in discussion and in passionate and heated debate, lose perspective by way of not just the big picture, but of all history of that, whether you're talking about a freshman ready here, yeah, there, yeah. or anywhere, whether you're talking about how fast this guy is ready, whether you're talking about depth of the position, whether you're talking about how come we don't have what they have, which is ultimately the great debate in college sport on a week-to-week basis among every fan base. Hey, because there's only there's only one team holding up a trophy at the end of the season. That ship has sailed, why. though, man. Like that, the ship you're talking about is everything you're saying right now is the stuff I said for 15 years. That ship has sailed. This state, this fan base, the boosters, no, they're either going to be come Alabama, Clemson, etc., or heads are going to roll. Period. There's already like I have a buddy of mine who's on an alumni chat board. He said after the game, people were freaking out. Let them go to Miami. Let Mario go to Miami. <laughs> it was insane. But hey, these, yeah, but these are the same people that wanted to run off Bilotti in 2006. You know, it's just, it, it's this, it's, what's the phrase I'm looking so that's for? Every fan base, again, that's every fan base. Again, that's every fan base. on this. That's every, it's every fan base everywhere in that look, unless you won a national championship. And even if you have, you're ready to get run off again. Auburn ran off Gene Chizik two years after a national championship. Exactly. LSU may run Ed Orgeron two years after a national championship. You know, it's a what have you done for me lately? Right. So there's no perspective. So I'm just saying that everything you're saying, people are not going to listen to. Right. You you're, and I agree. You're, you're, you and you're I making agree. my point for right. me. It is a sport right. without perspective. You and I agree. I'm somebody who tries to constantly bring perspective right. to a situation. Exactly. I did that. For I, while still at times <laughs> offering criticism, while still offering criticism, while still right. offering critique, if need be. But not losing all perspective along the way because, one, I'm not a fan. I, I doesn't mean a lick to me who wins or loses games or who performs well or who the quarterback is or who the starting whoever is in any sport, in any team, first off. But two, because I can't do my job flying off the handle in every direction every day with the changing of the winds because, one, that's just not how you do it. Uh, and, and two, you have to have a modicum of credibility <laughs> with anybody, with the audience, with the people you deal with on a day-to-day, that you actually know what the heck you're talking about, um, that you're not a, a reactionary, flying-off-the-handle person, and that you appreciate that there are challenges along the way. So I get the fan perspective and frustration that comes after a loss, but some of that is still the emotion of following a loss. And this is still a team that is in the top 10, and still a team who has as many things as they have to correct, still is in the top 10, and still has a lot to play for, and can still find its way to win a conference title and get in the playoff. Lastly here, as we wrap up, obviously to the bye week, Aaron, because uh, we again, we can get it. Uh, one thing we'll skip, we're not skipping past by way of, we're skipping past just because we, we've spent so much time already. There's, not, there's nothing really to debate here. Passing on second and eighteen strategically was wrong there's nothing to we're not going to belabor the point what what, what is there well, to say it's it a wrong only, strategic decision it wasn't a great choice i uh, yes point proven like i mean well, I, I don't think there's yeah, much really to well, discuss. Okay, let me ask you this though so the, the only thing playing devil's advocate it seemed like they wanted to have a chance to get a first down 
right? And so you call the play they called. It was a pretty safe, safe situation. The thing is that if it's not there, Browns just got to eat it. You fall over. Yeah, Browns just got to run for whatever over. you can get and then just keep the Like, you, you just can't make that decision. So, but, but that's, you know, the coaches have to know for a fact that the quarterback's going to make the right decision in that moment and not do what he did. But, yeah. But at the end of the day, though, I mean, I heard people, I heard someone saying they used that timeout later when they ran to the left and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But if they didn't have that timeout, they wouldn't have run to the left. They wouldn't have called right. that play. It would have, impact, it would have impacted it would have passed the entire the zone, They probably would have scored on first down. So it <laughs> I couldn't believe they ran that play anyway. Like, if anything, you because the clock was rolling, you throw a pass, you either score or it's incomplete, and they stop the clock, and you save that timeout. If you want to run that that play, that option play, you run it. After anyway, regardless, yes, they shouldn't have done that. But you know, at the end of the day, that timeout didn't hurt them. But the time did. The time did. The time did yeah. for sure. But I, I, to me, you still want to take away the third timeout. Oh yeah, you want to make them burn them. Make them, make them eat them if, up. If the, if the throw, Agreed. if if a absolutely wide open throw with zero pressure is not there, then you fall over. Yep. <laughs> uh, literally, I mean, that's, I mean, literally, literally, you fall over. <laughs> You drop down and just say, okay, fine. Um, I mean, we're, we're already at second and 18. What's the difference between second and 18 and third and 30? Right. I mean, really, what, what, what does it make a difference? Are right. you worried about that your punter's not going to be able to pin him? you got one of the best punters in the league right now. So that's, that wasn't an issue. Um, so, again, we're not going to belabor that point. To the bye week, obviously, we've already rather extensively discussed the fact that this is a team that needs to get healthier and that, obviously, the quarterback position is something worth examining. So we're not going to circle back around to that again. We've belabored those points extensively. We beat that one to death. Outside of getting healthier as much as one can and uh, examining the quarterback position deeply, what else do you think this team needs to do during the bye ahead of, you know, now it's about 10 days away. Yeah, exactly 10 days away. Uh, October the 15th and hosting Cal on that Friday night. Well, penalties is a big issue. 122nd in the nation, you know, that's, mm-hmm. you know, not supposed to be a, a, a calling card for a Mario coach team. Um, so, you know, figure out a way to clean those up. And for me, honestly, man, I mean, you're working those running backs, right? <laughs> you got to get, you got to get those young running backs, a lot of reps, get them up to speed, make sure you, you know what they do best. Cause it may be a situation where it's like, okay, Benson runs these plays really well and Cardwell runs these plays really well. And we're going to mix them in to give die a breather and run these specific things for these guys. But dude, I'm I'm getting myself a Ty Thompson package ready. Like I, I I'm having myself the ten best pass plays he runs. What do you do best? What do you read the best? And I'm drilling him, drilling him, and drilling him. Those are his ten pass plays, and I just put him out there and I try and get some vertical passing going. Stretch the defense out. Air some of these balls out, man. So for me, that's what I get going this this next ten days. I largely agree with you there. Whoa, they have to. <laughs> I, I, I uh, offensively. Offensively, I agree with you. I think they need to uh, obviously get as much practice and in, in practice reps, every kind of rep, anything you can do, anything, anything you can do at the running back position. Uh, if CJ is out longer term, to get all three of them as ready as possible at any given moment, uh, first and foremost, because I do still, I, I don't think this is a team who can uh, reinvent itself midway through. And by reinvent, I mean, I'm not saying not overcome an injury. I'm talking about they're a top 25 running attack and the passing attack is is basically there to complement it and capitalize on some things. Right. I don't think they're suddenly going to become a team, whether there's a quarterback change, no quarterback change, irrelevant. 
I don't think they're going to start, suddenly start. What are they going to become the air raid tomorrow? What are they going to throw <laughs> they for don't 400 have to be yards air raid. a game? How about you know, just you know? So, but point is, but but they're not going to throw for 350 a game and say, ah, oh, to hell with the run. That's not where we are. No, that's not happening. They're a top 25 running attack. If CJ's out for a week, for a month, for the rest of the year, they're still going to have to lean on the ground game. So starting by getting as many of the, of the three freshmen, and again, ask about dollars and his potential availability at any point, but starting with, you know, McGee, Cardwell, Benson, getting them as many reps and opportunities as possible in practice, first and foremost. The receiving game, I got to work with the receiver core as a whole. For, for the vertical game, they look, I thought their blocking as a whole, as a group, was better this past week. Uh, but the lack, and, and in the game in and of itself, I don't mind that there were not necessarily a ton of vertical shots because of just the way the game played out. And, and when you're running for five and six yards at a clip, you're not going to abandon that. But it's not just a one game issue. We know that. So starting to get something going there more as a whole, both with the receiving core and mainly the passing game. I agree. Uh, defensively, to me, it's more about, uh, yes, if Bennett Williams obviously is going to be out for, for a while now, if not the rest of the way. You have an answer there with Jamal Hill. Obviously, he started the last season. But that getting healthier part will help in a big way, particularly if Damon David can get back at deep safety, because right now you're in a tough spot of they move Jeff Bassa into inside linebacker away from nickel. Well, then when Bennett gets out, who's the next nickel? If Bass is inside, well, then it's Happel. But if Happel is not a deep safety, now you start – the dominoes of where you started moving some of these guys and who becomes available, it starts getting thin at some at one position or another in a hurry. So getting healthier, particularly getting Damon David back, can help just to provide depth in rotation in that you, know, you don't have to ask Jamal Hill to play 95% of the snaps in a game. Uh, that will help in and of itself. But I think it starts with health on the defensive side in the secondary I mentioned. But also, obviously, with the pass rush, uh, particularly with Swenson, when he can get back, when Ajax can get back, those help in a big way. But beyond just getting healthier and getting bodies back, no matter how many you may have available, if you don't employ them right or don't employ enough of them and variety of it, it doesn't necessarily matter. I think that this is something that – and it's hard to do in season, I understand. But to me, I, 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 <laughs> I really do. I'm curious as to how Tim DeRuiter will go about – trying to expand what it is that this defense does by way of its personnel and variety of its personnel. Uh, I think they've just relied a little bit too much on base. Whatever availability they had by way of personnel within base over the first five games, they've just relied a lot on base personnel package, and I'm not sure at times. uh, Obviously, the results have not borne out that that's been great. So, you know, there are instances, again, Cal is going to be a multi-tight end team. You know that. You know that. You know that Colorado later on is going to be a heavy running team. You know that UCLA is going to rely quite a bit on its ground game and its tight end. You know that Washington does these things. All these teams rely heavily on the ground. Well, this is a team who has to find some answers by way of – it's better on the edge. It was better this week. Don't, don't don't let one week suddenly steer the whole sample. They had some issues. Keep that shirt up. Keep improving there. Get the ground defense improved. And it's more than just getting healthier to do it. It, it starts there for sure. But it's more than that. I, so I do think that offensively, you're, you're hitting all the right notes. The skill positions, it's got to start there. Defensively, health 
first and foremost, but employing those bodies is another component to it. And I think that's something that can be at least explored in the bye week. I don't know if they, again, they can't reinvent themselves. You can't suddenly add 50 more plays in the playbook, but I do think there are some things that can be expanded upon on both sides for sure. All right. One more thing real quick. Jackson Dart. True freshman, went in against Washington State, lit them up. Number five ranked QB in the country behind Ty Thompson at number two on rivals. That's what I'm talking mm-hmm. about. That's what Ty Thompson should be on the par with that, with what we saw from Jackson Dart against Washington State, if he's truly this. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> You're rolling your eyes at me. <laughs> if, if, Oregon, if Oregon ran the air raid and was playing a defense the caliber of Washington State's, <laughs> I think you'd be absolutely correct. Okay. Fair enough. They Uh, run an RPO based (laughs) offense and they are not playing. They have yet to play Washington state. That comes later. But you agree. They should, you agree. Ty might be the quarterback by the time they play Washington. You agree. They should get a Ty Thompson package going. All right. Do they mix them in? Should they like start giving them some series? I think every team, I wait, I think, I think every team should have a package for their backup quarterback. Well, you have, you have, okay. You you already have one just in case he's going to have to play. I mean, have one in the game plan where we're yeah. going to let him go. I, right, I, right. Again, I think that's, I think that's everybody. I think everybody should have that. Not just always the backup. So he takes some reps. No, I think every team in America in college football should have a backup quarterback package. Well, no, you, I've no, always felt no, that. no, no, you have, everyone does have one. I'm just saying where you're, you're playing them. Like this week, he's going to get a couple series or next week against Cal, he's going to get a couple of series against Stanford. He would have gotten a couple of series. I mean, like you're involved in the game plan, not, Oh, in case Brown gets hurt, we're going to put you in. I mean, you're playing. That's what I'm saying. Well, that's just like that's they did with Brown last year with Shuck, right? They had, they had plays on the play sheet for Brown when Shuck was the starter. I'm saying they need to do the same thing for Ty Thompson, starting with Cal. They, they, and that, and that can start to be explored a bit more for sure. Yeah. That's all. Okay. That can start to be explored a bit more for sure. You saw it last year here. You've seen it with ver- various other spots over history, obviously, from what Tim Tebow did as a freshman at Florida, what uh, Justin Fields did initially when he was at Georgia and then ultimately transferred. We've seen uh, plenty of places, plenty of instances. Again, you saw it here at Oregon a year ago. Hardly, uh, uh, new territory. Uh, but yes, I, I agree. I think that that is something that can certainly be explored a bit that week. So. I'm not even sure if we're doing this next week, uh, Aaron, to be honest, because of the nothing to uh, talk about. Well, I think, yeah, I think we've, well, I think we, we've given you, we've basically given you a double up here. So we've given you two weeks worth of a podcast within this week's podcast, but we give you, we'll probably give you a reprieve in light of all that for next week. Um, or at least we, or, or a very brief, a mini preview, you know, pre Cal, yeah. you know, mini preview, but, mini, uh, in any personal air quote, mini. All, the way. all right. <laughs> yes. But, uh, but this was the longest, but I had a feeling it would be because of one, it's a loss and two, it's yeah. a buy and midseason and everything else. So yeah. lots to discuss. Uh, we covered as many bases as possible, uh, and get you as much, as much coverage as possible. And we'll certainly bring it to you more each and every day again at Oregon live. And, uh, again, of course, subscribe to the Ducks Confidential podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Appreciate all of you who already do. If you don't yet, please do. Uh, that way it gets sent to uh, whatever your device, mobile device, desktop, et cetera, et cetera, wherever you find it and listen to it. Make sure to like us, rate us, five-star, review the whole thing because it does help uh, other people to find it, uh, particularly when uh, Facebook and other places and anything else is actually in the Internet is functioning. Uh, that certainly helps as well. So, again, after this long edition of the next confidential <laughs> podcast, the director's cut, uh, the extended I, mix. Yes. This is one. This is like a Prince. This is a Prince twelve-inch maxi single. <laughs> With that, uh, I'm James Crappy. He is Aaron Fentress. We will see you for what we promise will be 
a shorter and briefer edition of the Ducks Confidential Podcast next week, heading into the Friday night game with Cal. 